And yeah, this is the minor prophets. So looking, so they're looking back. They're saying, um, God's saying, you haven't been following my ways. And he's looking forward, telling them about the future promises that we'll hear about in the New Testament. All right, Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former days. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. All right, and we're going to pick up Luke in chapter 7. It's on page 1040. And we'll start at verse 18. And Jesus has been, it's early in Jesus' ministry and and John's disciples are sent to find out what Jesus is up to. The disciples of John reported all these things to him and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them out. Sent them to the Lord. Oh, sorry. John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, so that's Jesus, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had left, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. 
I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptised with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say... Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Uh, Thank you, Jen. Um, I did just get hand-delivered a photo of Jen. I'll have to get you to uh, sign this. It's on the, the Southern Cross, God's Green Earth. It's got a gen with a nice juicy picture of the mango out the front. Um, looking forward to reading that article. Uh, it's exciting. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you um, just for what you are doing amongst us, uh, that you are building us up to be like our Saviour, Jesus, and that you are growing uh, people for your own good, uh, to worship and enjoy and delight you and to praise your name. And Father, we just pray uh, this morning that as... We hear your words, that it, your spirit would it be at work, that we would, not be, uh, we would not ignore it, that our hearts wouldn't be hardened, but that you would soften our hearts and that we may, we may see Jesus clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, not, not sure about those of you who are married, but a week before I got married, I had like massive doubts. Um, I don't know if you, if you, before you got married, thought, oh, wow. What am I about to get into here? Um, You know, I remember experiencing, you know, is Miriam the one? You know, what if we're not right for each other? Uh, You know, I think kind of doubts are a normal part of when you make these big decisions in life and big big decisions, you you kind of get get loads of doubt. Uh, Buyer's remorse, that's a thing, isn't it? Car, house, whatever it is, oh, should I have done that? big decision, uh, uni degree, did I go to choose the right uni degree, uh, did we choose the right names for our kids, did we send them to the right school, you know, all those kind of bigger decisions, we may think of big decisions, there's um, doubt, I think is just a normal experience of our life, and especially in significant moments. And so when we come to a significant moment, like following Jesus, uh, the chances are that you have are or will have experienced doubts as you follow Jesus. Uh, It can kind of be the intellectual questions that are kind of out there, you know, is there really a God and, you know, is this whole Christianity stuff made up? Uh, Can we ever know? Those kind of questions. But it can actually be much more personal and weightier. Like, can I, am I really a Christian? Uh, Am I really secure and safe in him? Are my sins truly forgiven? Uh, Does God really love me? Uh, you know, as 
I know that some of us, as we look around, you think, oh, there's other people are progressing, you know, seem to be progressing in their Christian life. I just came to keep having the same struggles, the same constant things keep coming up in my own life. It seems to be one step forward and three steps back. But maybe it's not kind of, the, you know, the truth, doubt, is it true? Uh, but maybe it's the doubt of, is it really worth it? <laughs> you know, following Jesus, is it worth it? At work, ooh, I know there's times where I want to shrink back. I find it hard. At every day, I find it hard to deny myself, pick up my cross and follow Jesus. And I've heard comments from people saying it seems actually harder to live as a Christian. Uh, it seems more complicated living, you know, without knowing your Lord and Saviour and living for Him. Uh, it just seems like you live for yourself and it's, at some level seems a little bit easier. See, Christians and doubt, it's a normal part of our experience. And today we kind of meet a man, one of the greatest men, actually, Jesus says, to have ever lived, born of a woman, who experienced doubt himself. And I kind of just want to work through John the Baptist and his doubt and uh, reflect on what it means for us as we follow Jesus. Uh, as we jump into this series, there's a context, is uh, we're back in Luke we're here um, term one last year, we're going to chapter 13 this year, uh, and there, Jesus is ministering, begun his public ministry in the northern regions of Galilee. Uh, so he's up at Capernaum, this is kind of his hometown, and he stays up here until chapter 9 verse 51, where he makes a decision to head down south towards Jerusalem. Now he's heading towards Jerusalem, Why? Because that is where he's going to die. That is why he has come to seek and save the lost and die for people on the cross. Uh, in, in chapter 7, we've just had Jesus heal the centurion's servants without even seeing him. Uh, he just said the words and Jesus healed them. Uh, just before this reading we had, uh, Jesus kind of stops a funeral procession in mid-funeral you know, mid and raises the dead boy. And he gives him back to the widowed mum. After our reading, Jesus then goes on uh, to have dinner with a Pharisee, religious leader, and he forgives this unnamed sinful woman of the city. Uh, most likely a prostitute. Uh, all the religious people didn't want anything to do with her. And Jesus uh, like holds her up as an example of faith and love. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. But sandwiched in between these two kind of examples of faith and healing and miracles is this doubt of John the Baptist, this question that John has of Jesus. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him that question, verse 18. Uh, John's disciples report all these things he heard to him, that's the centurion servants healing, the dead boy being raised, and John called two of them and said, sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Now, that question, I don't know if that shocks you or surprises you that that's coming out of John the Baptist's mouth, uh, because, you know, John the Baptist, he's a pretty significant figure in the Bible. He... Um, you know, he is about nine months older than Jesus, a relative we, we know, we learn about in chapter one. And he lived his life in the wilderness and he preached. 
And he, the, the nation of Israel went to him in the wilderness, to the river, to be baptised in the river Jordan for a baptism of repentance. Uh, John, we, we learn in chapter 3, soon ends up in prison. Uh, he confronted King Herod for taking his brother's wife as his own, uh, and he's going to die there. Uh, he, he dies there in the same prison that Herod sends him to. And, and John is actually has this significant role in salvation history. His role was really just to point to Jesus. It was kind of clear the way and to then get out of the way. Uh, and he really is this kind of uh, bridge character between the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament, Jesus. This, this bridge between the two. Uh, so he says in chapter, in chapter 3, come back and have a look at it. And when we kind of meet John, and he's preaching out in the wilderness, he says, I baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then down in, chapter, in verse 21, as, Jesus baptizes, oh, sorry, as John baptises Jesus, uh, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on him and he hears that voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Uh, in John, account of, so <laughs> this, is, this is interesting, isn't it? How many Johns we got here? Not John the Baptist, but John's account of Jesus' life. Uh, John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as he points to Jesus. But now, kind of after being clear on who he thought Jesus was, what he was on about, the one that was to come, he's in prison and he's doubting. Is, is this the one? Is he the one that is to come? See, why is he doubting now? Well, it seems, I think, that to John, what Jesus is doing doesn't match what he expected him to do. Uh, it doesn't match his expectations. Now, you remember John's preaching style, don't you? Chapter 3, uh, he has a very distinct style. Uh, he kind of gathers all the people, you know, thousands of people in the, in, the, um, in the wilderness, and the first words he's opening to them is, you brood of vipers. Uh, you know, it's not your sensitive, you know, welcome people in. Just, you brood of vipers. Um, you know, don't say to yourself, this is what he says, verse 8, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barns. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Wow. That's his sermon to the nation of Israel. Man preaching fire, brimstone, he anticipates that this one that the nation had been waiting for, uh, who he was to clear the room for, he was going to come. And he was going to end the power of darkness. Uh, he was going to judge the peoples for evil. He's going to smash the enemies. And that's kind of what Malachi 3 was that we read, wasn't it, in the Old Testament? There's these expectations that the one who would come, what God would do in the future, uh, that he would send the messenger and then that great day, will be a day of judgment that who can endure? A day of refining. And clearly, as John hears about from prison what Jesus is doing, he's thinking, hang on, what's going on here? He's, he's healing, yeah, he's giving sight, yeah, but he's partying, he's eating 
meals together in verse 33 and 4. Where's the winnowing fork? Where's the axe? I don't think anyone's chopping anything down. Jesus is just here preaching good news. Uh, And he's thinking, have I backed the wrong horse here? See, his expectation of who Jesus is, what he was going to do, what his ministry would look like, uh, and the reality of how it unfolded gave rise to serious doubts for himself. But isn't that where our doubts come from? You know, I thought trusting Jesus would mean my life would go well. I thought it'd be a bit easier. I thought it'd mean my relationships might get more sorted out. But look at my life. It seems more messy. It seems my kids are doing it hard. I've lost my job. I'm having health problems. Life is really hard. See, it's when you have these expectations about what Christian life would look like that they can lead us, when it looks different from reality, to doubt God in all this. Is it worth it? And we can doubt because we have wrong assumptions of what it's going to look like. And therefore, when reality doesn't match what we think it ought to, it causes us to have real doubts. Now, it's interesting for John, right? His doubts are like the very opposite to our doubts, right? He's going, hang on, Jesus isn't judging and bringing about this final thing in like I expect him to. For us, we think, hang on, that Jesus judges, that causes me to doubt. That, that, that causes me to uh, think, oh, hang on, is, is Jesus really good? But John the Baptist, does he get his expectation wrong of Jesus? Well, I think it's kind of yes and no, isn't it? His expectation is a bit of yes and no. See, I think he's just got the timing of what Jesus is going to do when he will bring that judgment wrong. Because Jesus did bring judgment when he came the first time. His ultimate judgment is of the world, of sin and humanity, is actually at the cross. That's God's ultimate judgment on this world. But for three years before that, he, he spoke about hope coming back. And for us now, while we wait for that ultimate judgment to be fulfilled with Jesus' second coming, now is a time that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, to bring hope, to bring life and restoration before that final judgment comes. So all this for John led him to ask, are you the one? Notice notice Jesus' answer to him. He doesn't condemn him, does he? He doesn't kind of think, you silly duffer, I've put up with you for so long and your people no have a look he's in verse 21 he says in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind he bestowed sight and he answered them go tell John what you have seen and heard blind receive the sight the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear the dead are raised raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me See, Jesus doesn't rebuke John here for his doubt, doesn't kind of imply it's a terrible sin. So how dare you ask that question? No, he just points him to the signs, to the realities. He points him and affirms that what Jesus is doing actually is what God had promised he would do in the Old Testament. He affirms those expectations, reminds him of the miracles, but then he even does more than that, doesn't he? He then goes on to affirm who John is. Do you notice that in, uh, in verse 24 to, well, to, to 26? 
He affirms to the crowd who John is. He said, so, you know, when you went out to see John, what did you go out to see? Verse 26, he says, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, a prophet that is of he whom is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. You see, see what he's doing there, he's identifying John as that Elijah figure, the, the messenger who was to prepare the way for Jesus, uh, which means, what does that mean about Jesus? Well, it means that actually Jesus is the one who was to come after John, the Messiah, the Christ, the one they had been waiting for, the Lord of all and the King of kings. So I do think what Jesus is doing there is um, teaching us about our doubts. See, on the, on the one hand, I think the Bible has doubts which are kind of a double-mindedness thinking. This is what James 1 talks about. Uh, which I think is different from John the Baptist kind of doubt. Uh, it seems that in James 1, the heart of that doubt comes from a heart that rejects God and rejects his word, and it doesn't come from a place of faith or trust. Uh, and that kind of doubt, the Bible says, that's to be kind of exposed and, and condemned. It's, a, it's the heart that is against God and says, I don't want to listen to him. It doesn't want to look at the evidence of God and because whatever it is, it's just going to ignore it and be against it. But this is not the doubt that John the Baptist is wrestling with here, is it? He's the struggler. He's the trying, to, trying to make sense of reality and what's going on and the promises of God that he's heard and what's he seen Jesus do and thinking, is this true? This comes from a place of trust, a place of uh, heart, a trust in God. And see, notice... Uh, what God, what Jesus does to John, he points him back to the Bible. He quotes Isaiah and says in verse 22, what you're seeing is fulfilment of this Isaiah promise. So it isn't just look around and see that what Jesus is doing is powerful. That's, I mean, that's true. I've never met anyone do what he's done. But actually, Jesus is saying what he's doing here is actually fulfilment of what's been promised from long ago. It's actually a fulfilment of these Old Testament expectations. And so what he's saying uh, to John, he says, I'm him, I'm the Messiah, I'm the King of Israel, the one you've been waiting for, the Lord of all. See, what are we to do? We aren't to kind of, you know, you know when you worry about yourself, you can kind of tend to look inwards. You can tend to think, what, oh, what a, how am I holding up? What's my life looking like? And that can be the measure of how you're going as a Christian. No, what the, the answer the Bible gives actually is not to look inwards, but to look outwards to Jesus. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Uh, see who he is. See who he is as he's revealed himself in scriptures. See what he has done for you. And I think actually, um, as we kind of zoom out for the whole of chapter 7, I think this is the point of the whole of chapter 7. It's actually a point about who Jesus is and what he has done, and that it requires the response of faith, even in doubt, to press in to trust him and his goodness. Because the answer to doubt is to look to Jesus, is to look to who he is and the salvation that he brings. And doesn't chapter 7 uh, just bring us Jesus in the most kind of wooing, in the most kind of astonishing and wonderful way, surprising way. So not only does it fulfil Old Testament hopes, which we've been reflecting on, but you actually see in chapter 7 uh, 
his heart of compassion. His heart of compassion. So when confronted with the grief at the funeral, in chapter 7, verse 13, it says Jesus uh, had compassion on the widow. His heart went out to her and he healed her son. Or with the, the sinful woman afterwards, uh, the woman that no one wanted uh, to be identified with, the religious people had nothing to do with her, he upholds her. He shows, her, shows the leaders and everyone there that this is someone actually is an example of what faith looks like. It looks like when you've been forgiven much, loving much, and he forgives her sins. So what else do we see about Jesus? Well, as he comes, he actually brings about the, the reversal of the effects of sin. Death is overturned, sickness done away, sins are forgiven. All these are kind of like the breaking in of what Jesus will ultimately do when he returns. See, what's this saying to us? It's saying when you fear and you have doubts and you've got unmet expectations, come back to the scriptures, look afresh to Jesus. He's the one in history. He's the one God's been working towards for eternity past. He is real, he is true, he is good. And following him is the best thing you can do with your life. And the scriptures tell us judgment is coming, yes, but he's holding off so that we would come to him now. Today is the day of salvation. So friends, can I urge you, come close to Jesus. Press into him and rejoice. Rejoice of who he is and what he's done for you and the salvation he brings. Uh, you know that verse 28 where it says, I'll just finish on this one, where it says, I tell you, uh, among born of women, none are greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You know what I think that is? I think that's because, you know, 1 Peter will reflect on uh, the prophets, and I think that's the Old Testament prophets uh, long to look into who Jesus is and how he would bring about this salvation. And you know what we get to do today? We get to look back with clarity. And we get to see it in its fullness, part of the, the new um, covenant, those who we see Jesus as the Messiah who died and rose again for us. Uh, and uh, Peter would say that more than just seeing uh, when we follow him, we've actually tasted him. We've actually tasted the Lord Jesus, that he is good and worthy of our faith and trust in all things. So let me pray for us to that end. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful that when we open the scriptures, we do meet Jesus, uh, our Lord, our God, and the one who is compassionate to all, who forgives our sins, who um, reverses the effects of sin. And Father, we long for sin to be done away with, but while we wait, we pray that we would continue to look to him, that you might cause faith to grow within us, and that we might stand trusting and worshipping and delighting in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.